Our Old Testament reading today is from Ruth, the first chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of the ones were Orpha and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was, with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, But they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Madara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went back full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to consider the beautiful story of Ruth. I chose Ruth because tomorrow is the Jewish feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost, on which the book of Ruth is read in every synagogue around the world. So I thought we too should study Ruth, find out why it's read on Shavuot, see how it applies to us, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit who came to those first disciples on Shavuot. Now, some of you may be wondering, so I'll get this cleared up right now, the Jewish calendar is not always in sync with the Christian calendar. So this year, it just so happens, Shavuot is tomorrow, although Christian Pentecost is not until next Sunday. Some years they line up, some years they don't. All right. The story of Ruth takes place in an era that's not unlike our own. It's an era that scripture describes as everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But in a little town called Bethlehem, or in Hebrew, Bethlehem, the house of bread, there was a community there that followed the Lord, this golden island in a sea of evil. And it's there that this warm story of love and honor unfolds. It tells about God's provision, and it tells about the romance between Ruth and Boaz, which is a romance to remember. The narrative teaches us about relationships, and it illustrates the character of those who followed God's will instead of their own will. So they are role models for us today. We can pattern our lives after them. In Ruth, we're also going to see Christ, we're going to see his church, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit, and that should encourage us by that hope. Now, three biblical practices are essential to understanding the book of Ruth. The first one is the observance of the feasts of Firstfruits and Shavuot. And we did that already, so you've got that down. The second one is the law of gleaning, and the third is the role of the kinsman redeemer, the Hebrew word ga'al. So we'll use those to give us insight into Ruth. So with that, let's begin with scene one, critical choices, which comes out of Ruth chapter one. As we just heard in today's Old Testament reading during a time of famine, Elimelech took his wife and his two sons and they moved to Moab. After a while, Elimelech died, The sons grew to manhood, they married Moabite women, and then the sons died. But Naomi heard 
that God was blessing the people back in Bethlehem. So she told her daughters-in-law that she was going to go back home. About halfway there, she said, you know, this is silly. You guys go back too. There's nothing for you there. And Naomi um, said that. Orpah reluctantly turned back. But Ruth, you heard what she said. She said, no, I'm not going to leave you. No way. And so we come. They trudge. They trudge 50 miles through rugged mountain terrain, going from Moab to Bethlehem. And then Ruth 1.22, which is the key verse of that whole first chapter. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, arriving in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At the beginning of barley harvest, that is both precise and it's crucial. Leviticus 23 specifies the beginning of barley harvest is first fruits. That's the day they arrived. And that initiates a seven-week period that culminates on the 50th day then. Seven times seven is 49. Next day is 50. On the 50th day with Shavuot. For those 50 days, the law of gleaning is invoked. Leviticus 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall leave some grain in the field for the poor and for the foreigner. And Ruth was both. And so Ruth and Naomi arrived in Bethlehem, the house of bread, on first fruits. And so Ruth was able to go out in the fields and glean the grain that had been left for them so they could survive. Providentially, Ruth found herself gleaning in the fields of a man named Boaz, a much older man who most likely had been just recently widowed, and he was a relative of her deceased husband. Now we come to scene two, the fields of Boaz, from Ruth chapter two. I'm going to read verses four through ten and verse twelve. Later in the day, Boaz arrived from town. He greeted the harvesters with, the Lord be with you. They replied, the Lord bless you. This was a culture that knew and honored the Lord. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who is that young woman? I've not seen her before. The overseer replied, "Ah, she's the one who came back from Moab with Naomi. She requested Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind your harvesters. She then entered the field, and except for a short rest in the shelter, she's been out there all day long until now. Boaz went over to Ruth and said, My daughter, listen to me. Don't leave here and try to glean in any other field. Stay with the women who work for me. Note whatever field the men are harvesting, and then follow along after the women in that field. I have ordered the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you're thirsty, you get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, Ruth bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, who am only a foreigner? Eyelashes flutter. Boaz replied, his face flushed, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was a foreigner, a Moabite, but that did not deter Boaz. He saw that by coming to Israel, she had taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh. Boaz honored her for that, but his blessing contained another meaning. It implied that Ruth had also taken refuge under the wings of Boaz. For his fields were God's fields. She was safe there. What a wonderful way to begin a romance. With a feeling of honor, blessing, and safety. Scripture implies that during the coming days, Ruth and Boaz shared meals. They talked at length. They learned about each other. Their relationship grew. And it reached its powerful crescendo, according to Ruth 2.23, when the wheat harvest was over. We know exactly when that is. That is 50 days after first fruits. It is on Shavuot. And this is why the book of Ruth is read on Shavuot in every Jewish synagogue. As Shavuot approached, Naomi knew that once it was over, they would no longer be able to gather grain in the fields. The harvest would be over. How were they going to survive? It was time to take the relationship with Boaz to the next level. And Naomi had a pretty good idea of how that might happen. So now we're to scene three. The kinsman redeemer. Ruth chapter three, verses one through four. Then Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, it is now time for me to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have worked, a kinsman redeemer of ours? Tonight is Erev Shavuot, and he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Go. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your very best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until after he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place he has chosen. Wait a while, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do next. This is getting a little steamy. Naomi, what are you saying? Are are you telling Ruth to seduce Boaz? No, that is not what she is saying at all. To understand Naomi's suggestions and instructions to Ruth, you have to consider the custom of the kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word ga'al, which can be, as we heard from George Stulak last week, a noun or a verb, right? It can go either way. The role of the Ga'al is prescribed in the Torah. Leviticus 25, I've taken verses 25, 47, and 48 and sort of put them together into one compact verse here. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells either their property or themselves, their nearest relative, kinsman, is to come and Ga'al, 
that is, redeem what they have sold, and even purchase them out of slavery, if need be. This law provided hope for those who had been forced to sell their ancestral land or even sell themselves. But not just anyone could become a Gaal. The kinsman redeemer was required to be a blood relative, and the closest relative had the first right. Okay? Furthermore, the Gaal had to be willing to do this, and he had to have the resources necessary to purchase the land back. All right. So before leaving for Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had been forced to sell his ancestral land. Now a kinsman redeemer was the only one who could buy that land back so it could pass to Elimelech's descendants. But wait a minute, Elimelech's dead. His sons are dead. Ruth has no son. What good would it do to buy back Naomi's land in a culture where men pretty much control property if there was no one to leave the land to? And this brings us to another important role of the Ga'al. Deuteronomy 25, 5, and 6. If brothers are living near each other and one of them dies without a son, the husband's brother or next closest relative shall fulfill his duty and marry the wife of his dead kinsman. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the deceased so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Any Ga'al of Elimelech's property would have to marry Ruth. Their first son would then be the proper heir of this ancestral land. And as wife of the kinsman redeemer, Ruth would share in all that he owned, as would any children besides this first one that they might have together. When Naomi saw Boaz as perfect, he was a close relative. He had the resources. He was honorable, would accept the responsibility. And, oh, it wouldn't hurt that. He was in love with Ruth. For Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet was the custom whereby she could formally request that he become her kinsman redeemer. And wise Boaz, I mean wise Naomi, also knew that when Ruth asked Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer, it couldn't hurt anything if she looked absolutely fabulous. And so she asked her, get yourself ready. Scene four, the threshing floor. Um, The scene is verses five through 11. We'll just start with verses five through seven. How would Ruth respond to a mother-in-law's advice? Let's see. Ruth told Naomi, I will do whatever you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Israeli culture was foreign to Ruth. She didn't know the rules, but she trusted Naomi that she had given the correct procedures to do. So on Shavuot Eve, she bathed, put on perfume, donned her best clothes, and at dusk, she cautiously moved to the outdoor threshing floor where Boaz would sleep that night because it was threshing time. And at the proper time, she slipped under the blanket at his feet, her heart pounding. Naomi had told Ruth to wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. But Ruth sort of goes off script here and decides she's going to take things into her own hands. And what follows is intensely romantic. Ruth 3, verses 8 and 9. 
In the middle of the night, something startled Boaz, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. At midnight, Boaz is startled to find a stunningly beautiful woman at his feet, who then boldly proclaims, I'm your servant. You have the right to be my husband. Take me as your own. Is that what she said? She said, spread the corner of your garment over me. We don't have to guess what that means. Ezekiel 16.8 defines it precisely. The Lord said to Israel, I passed by. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you. I gave you, I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. Ruth is asking Boaz for his solemn oath and covenant of marriage so that they can become husband and wife that very night. Now, it's entirely proper for Ruth to ask this because according to rabbinic law, a ga'al marriage, since it's commanded in the Torah, It does not require any formal ceremony. It is automatically sanctioned because it's preordained in the Torah. So Boaz could take her as his wife that very night. Now there's also a sweet subtext to Ruth's request. When she first met Boaz, he blessed her for taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. The Hebrew word for wing is kanaf. So for taking refuge under the kanafim of the Lord. Ruth is now recalling that day, and she repeats back to Boaz his original implication when he said that. Because the word she uses for corner of your garment is kanaf. (laughs) Spread the wing of your garment over me, because your wing is God's wing. How would Boaz respond? Ruth 3, 10 and 11. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness of yours is greater than that which you showed to Naomi earlier. For you have not pursued the younger men, whether rich or poor, but have chosen me. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you everything you ask. All my townsmen know that you are a righteous woman of noble character. Now, Boaz might have answered her, Well, of course, little lady. I'll gladly rescue you from your horrible condition and allow you to share in my vast wealth. But that's not what he said. He said, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing me. This humble and loving statement empowered Ruth. It let her know that this was not something she was forced to do, This was her choice that she had made. And it further implies in what he said, and I also choose you. Not because you're young and beautiful, but because of your character. You were kind to Naomi in returning to Israel with her, and now you're being even kinder. Because you've chosen a man who has enough resources to care for both of you. 
when you could have chosen a much younger man, because you're beautiful, you could have, in all the biology, the women, the females do the choosing, by the way. You could have chosen any man you wanted, but maybe they wouldn't have the resources to take care of both, both, both of you. Yes, I would be honored to be your husband. Now, one can just imagine Ruth smiling, putting her arms around Boaz's neck, kissing him deeply and saying, Boaz, if I'd wanted a younger man, I would have chosen a younger man. You're the one I truly love. And now it's Boaz who's smiling. But what would a good romance be without some tension? There was a problem. And Boaz knew he had to tell Ruth about it. He didn't want to worry her, but he knew God would, would provide for him, but he had to tell her. So he said, do not fear. And then he cautiously gave her the bad news. Ruth 3, 12 and 13. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a potential kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Ruth's heart stops right in her chest and she gasps for breath. He puts his hand on her shoulders. He says, stay here for the night. And tomorrow, if he wants to redeem, well, so be it, let him. But if he is not willing to redeem, as surely as the Lord lives, I will be your kinsman redeemer. But wait here until morning. What Boaz basically is saying, my darling, don't be afraid. Don't think that I'm saying this because I don't want to marry you. I really do. You're a wonderful woman, but I can't do it tonight. There's this issue of the other kinsmen that I have to clear up first. Trust me, I will work it out. You know, Boaz easily could have made love to Ruth that night, not told her about the problem, gone, worked it out the next day. But he wanted a marriage based on trust. True love waits. And what he did was he invited Ruth to carry the weight of this burden with him. She, he treated her as a full spiritual partner. That together they could pray and trust God that this would happen. Okay. So what was Ruth thinking through that night? I wonder if she slept at all near Boaz's feet. Or did she trust that God would use Boaz? It probably seemed an eternity until the next morning finally came. And then, scene six, love waits. Ruth 3, 14 through 18. So Ruth lay near Boaz's feet until morning, but arose before it was light enough that anyone could be recognized. Boaz then said, be discreet, but go quickly home. We don't want anyone to know a woman came to the threshing floor last night. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he meted out six measures of barley into her shawl and put it on her shoulders. He then went into town. When Ruth arrived back at her mother-in-law's, Naomi said, How did it go, my daughter? Then Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her and added, But he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Ah, be patient, my daughter until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I doubt if Naomi slept 
that night either. And now it's daybreak, and finally Ruth comes back home, and Naomi says, well, what happened? What did Boaz say? What did Boaz do? And the Bible says Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. There was no doubts at all in her mind. But Ruth is puzzled about one thing, the six measures of barley. How much was that? Some translations say he poured six ephahs into her shawl. Some say he poured six bushels into her shawl. Either is far too much to fit in a shawl, and actually far too much for any human being to carry. But the Hebrew text says this, he counted out six barley. The rabbis are adamant that this should be taken literally. I mean, Boaz put six grains of barley in her shawl and then winked and said, I don't want you to go home empty-handed. Take these to your mom. Now, under that interpretation, it's no wonder Ruth said, but what are these six grains of barley all about? And Ruth knew exactly what Boaz meant. She said, my daughter, it's a sign. Six grains of barley is all that we're going to need until he comes back for you. The man's on a mission, and he's going to finish it today. Well, once Ruth started for home, Boaz indeed hurried into Bethlehem. He summoned the rival Gaal at the city gate, which is the courthouse. He then found ten men, that's a minion, a legal jury. And then he outlined to the kinsmen and to the jury the situation with Elimelech's land. Ruth 4, 4 through 9. The rival kinsmen responded, I will redeem the land. Boaz countered, Oh, then you may not know this, but you must also marry Ruth and share your inheritance with her and with any children you have by her. The rival panicked. I, I, I didn't realize that. I, I don't want to endanger my own estate. Uh, you have to redeem it. Boaz then told both the court and the entire crowd that had assembled, you are all witnesses today that I buy back Naomi's land and take Ruth as my wife, thereby perpetuating the names of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. Boaz had been successful. He could now marry Ruth. The rabbis say, although a formal wedding is not required, that Boaz wanted a formal wedding. And there's evidence in the text they had a big celebration with the women in the town blessing Ruth. Soon, Boaz and Ruth had a son who named named Obed, whom Naomi would cradle in her arms as her very own. From that day forth, she would no longer want to be called bitter. From now on, she reclaimed her original name of Pleasant. In time, Ruth would have a grandson born in Bethlehem, Jesse, followed by a great-grandson, David. David must have learned some things from his great-grandmother because in Psalm 17, 8, which I think we may have read this morning, he said, O Lord, hide me in the shadow of your kanafim. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now there's an epilogue to the story that we have to say here. Centuries later, Micah prophesied that another of Ruth's descendants would be born in Bethlehem, Messiah, son of David. And since Messiah comes from Ruth's lineage, 
Judaism holds that both the book of Ruth and Shavuot are messianic. The great Rabbi Rashi taught that Ruth is about nothing but the Messiah. And for example, the rabbis say that the six grains of barley that Boaz gave to Ruth at the threshing floor on Shavuot represent the six gifts of the Spirit that will be given to Messiah. In fact, the number one Jewish commentary on Ruth is subtitled, The Seeds of Mashiach, The Seeds of Messiah, Those Six Grains. In confirmation, by the way, the New Testament agrees with this, right? Because remember, on Pentecost, Peter quoted from a passage in Joel that connects threshing floor, grain, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, if the grain Boaz gave to Ruth on Shavuot represents the Holy Spirit given to us on Pentecost, then it follows Ruth is a symbol of the church. Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, is a symbol of Christ. And this is confirmed in the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews lists Christ as our kinsman redeemer, And it actually brings in another role of the kinsman redeemer found in Deuteronomy 19. If some, 19 verses 11 and 12. If someone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him, and then flees, the elders of his town shall hunt down the adversary, bring him back, and hand him over to the blood avenger to be executed. The Hebrew translated blood avenger, oh yeah, Gaal, the kinsman redeemer. Okay. It follows that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer in every way. Hebrews 2.11. Both Jesus and the ones he sanctifies are of the same family. So he can truly call them brothers. Down to verse 14. He shared the same humanity as that of his kinsman in order to be qualified. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Our Messiah, this is verse 16, did not redeem angels, but he redeemed humanity. For he was a son of Abraham. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way. He had to be that to be our kinsman redeemer. As blood avenger, he pursued destroyed our adversary Satan. As kinsman redeemer, he freed us from slavery. And no angel could do this. Because to be that, he had to share our humanity and be like us in every way. All right. Our salvation has many parallels in Ruth. But I'd like to c- conclude with just three uh, short examples of how Ruth and Boaz resemble Christ and his church. Number one. Ruth was destitute, but on first fruit she learned to Boaz. We were destitute, but we learned of Jesus after he arose on first fruits. But then on Shavuot, the law came down from Mount Sinai and tried to claim us, but he was weak. He could not do the job. We needed a powerful redeemer who could subdue the law, take up our cause, destroy our adversary, and that was Jesus. Lamentations 3. 57 and 58. O Lord, you came near when I called on you. You said, do 
not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord, and you will ga'al, redeem, rescue my life. Number two, Boaz had to leave Ruth in order to make some arrangements. But on Shavuot, he gave her six grains of barley as an earnest towards his promise to return, to redeem her inheritance, and to make her his bride. Jesus has gone to make some arrangements for us. Okay? But on Shavuot, he gave us the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our inheritance until he redeems us and makes us his bride. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. After you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is us. You know, Naomi told Ruth, the barley Boaz give, gave us is all that we'll need till he returns. And the Holy Spirit is all that we're going to need until Jesus returns. And the third analogy. Ruth washed, perfumed, and put on her finest clothes in preparation to meet Boaz. And we need to be preparing for Christ. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Messiah loved the church and cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present her to himself in splendor. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. A friend of mine was a Ph.D. student in uh, physics at the University of Berkeley. One day he said, Dave, could we have lunch? Uh, I want to talk about your faith. I said, sure. How about tomorrow? We met at the NASA Ames Cafeteria, Moffett Field. He looked across the table and said, I don't understand why you're a Christian. It makes absolutely no sense to me. I take the Old Testament. He said, what is that even for? I said, Peter, every book in the Old Testament is about Jesus. He peered at me across the table and he folded his arms and he said, what about Ruth? What about Ruth? There are 39 books in the Old Testament that he might have mentioned. The Holy Spirit wasn't Shavuot, but the Holy Spirit was there on that day, and Peter Gorgian would become a believer. Ruth left her comfort zone. She made a long journey. She found a place where people loved the Lord, and she decided to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. What about you? Have you found refuge under the wings of the Lord? Have you made Jesus your Redeemer? Um, there are prayers in the liturgy to help you with this, or you could uh, talk to any elder after the service today, or give us a call. We'd be glad to talk with you or pray with you. Jesus is our kinsman Redeemer. He gives us everything that we will need, and there's no one else who can do it. He is the only one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.